0: So, the big question is this How do veterinarians like you, who live demanding lives, who never seem to have enough time, able to achieve balance and take control of your finances with confidence? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. We are Florida Veterinary Advisors, and this is the Smarter Vet Podcast. Hey Smarter vets. Welcome back to the Smarter Vet Financial Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Tom Seco. I am the co-owner of Florida Veterinary Advisors, a national financial planning firm based out of Tampa, Florida. Before I jump in here and I introduce our guest that we have, I want to make mention that if you are an active listener to our show and you are hearing you know you're finding the topics to be great, you're really enjoying the, the discussions we're having, please make sure to take an episode or two and share it with some of your friends, some of your colleagues, others that you know. Uh, And we really would love to just get some love from you as well. If you go rate us, leave a comment, Uh, even if you go on our Facebook page, the Smarter Vet Financial Podcast Facebook page, uh, we'd love to just hear what you think about the show, uh, what your thoughts are, if you have any ideas of what you want us to talk about. And also just if you are looking for other great resources, always look through our website at Florida Veterinary Advisors. Uh, You can go see it by flvetadvisors.com or find the link to our website in the show notes. This conversation that we're going to have today, it's sort of popped up out of the blue. It's interesting, the relationships that I create as I'm working around in vet med and how long I've been in it now. The guest that I have is, you know, we sort of pumped into each other and it's really cool because I think he's got a great story to what he's going to share. And he's had massive success when it comes to, you know, especially with recent days, there's a lot of these purchasing groups and buying groups, corporate groups that are out there. And he's actually one of the people that started one of them. So who I have on the show with me today is Dr. Rothstein. He is MBA. He's also a veterinarian. Uh, He is one of the founding partners of Mission Veterinary Partners. Uh, He's kind of a little bit more silent now these days and doing more of these speaking and everything else. But I think it's great to hear what he's been through and where he's at his life um, and I appreciate you joining me today, Jeff. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Um, glad to be here. Absolutely. And, and, and happy to share some of my story. Yeah. So for those who, who haven't heard of you before, this is the first time they've ever, you know, ran across your name. I'd be, if you don't mind, is giving a little bit more of, you know, how did you start in vet med and, you know, where you've gotten up to this point in your life? How did you, you know, what has been the transition of events that you've gone through?
1: Sure. A little bit of a long and winding road, but in short, um, and I'll try to keep it brief. I attended University of Michigan in my freshman year. I had a work study job at the hospital, at the medical school with a researcher who was uh, Dr. Stanislaw Pasek. He was an exiled cardiologist from Poland. And so they had him uh doing uh running a research lab here and i was taking care of the dogs as part of my uh, work study program so i came in probably a little more pre-med most of my buddies from high school are pre-med and um, i did have a background of a father that uh, is in in science with scientist and researcher and grew up in vermont with a hobby farm so i certainly grew up with a lot of animals and so at the hospital i ended up working pretty closely with the lab animal veterinarians and got really uh, interested in, in veterinary medicine so some people grew up knowing that's exactly what they want to do and for me it, it kind of hit there in in college and so as i pursued it I also I actually got in as an out of state student to Colorado State University. It was not inexpensive, so they said, "Well, if you come and live here for a year, you should have no problem getting in in state." So in the year that I was living and working at Car in Colorado. Uh, in Fort Collins, worked pretty closely with some veterinarians, and they were not totally gung-ho on the profession. I'd say the uh, right around the early 90s, and so they were not necessarily that supportive. And a lot of it had to do with uh, financial. And so I kind of looked at, okay, a lot of my buddies are going to medical school, and there's a pretty big disparity income-wise. So I kind of took it on myself as a goal to put the business side to veterinary uh, medicine or to the practice part of the profession because I saw a lot of opportunities. And so one of the things that's good about Colorado State, they urged me to do a joint DVM MBA program. And so I actually got my MBA in the fall of 93 and my DVM in in May of 94, 1994. Um, And so... In short, my interest really was um, how do we um, better manage hospitals in terms of allowing doctors to focus on medicine and allowing, you know, a little more of the administrative team to run uh, well, functional, uh, profitable business. And so that kind of was my goal from the get go. After I graduated, I came back to Michigan and worked at uh, it's called PVH, Professional Veterinary Hospitals, was one of the very first groups of um practices in the country so there were like 12 locations that ended up getting bought out very quickly Mm -hmm. by a private equity group out of philadelphia which ended up selling the vca Um, so nine months out i ended up um, purchasing my first hospital with a ten thousand dollar deposit off my credit card oh nice And I had an option to, this is April 15th, I remember that day, Uh, I had an option at the end of the year to either lose the deposit or own the practice. But I took over management uh, that first, uh, you know, from the moment I uh, arrived at the practice. And the doctor there, it was called the Elm Animal Hospital, Edward L. Mapes, good veterinarian, young guy, just did not like dealing with clients very much. And so he was um, finished practicing at a pretty young age. And uh, at the end of the year, I ended up um, having more money than my starting salary in the bank of, you know, I think my starting salary was (laughs) 32,500. And that was with an extra bonus for having my MBA. But uh, at any rate, um, I really enjoyed the ownership part. That was almost an hour from my house. And my wife's like, why are you about to practice that far away? And I said, well, cause I really believe in multi-practice ownership. Um, and so basically from day one, I really looked at, um, the benefits of group practice. I, I just believe that, um, you, you know, if you're in one hospital every day for, you know, 30 years, kind of the, Beetle song stuck inside these four walls, never getting out of here. Uh, I thought that you know you would learn a lot from uh, working with other colleagues and um, just sharing best ideas and so on. So over time, ended up owning up to about a dozen hospitals. And some of those I sold to some colleagues. Um, I had some Banfield locations mixed in there. I was the only one to believe own both Banfields and independent practices. Served on Banfield senior advisory board for a period of time. So was was close with them. And then Mars took over the Banfield hospital. So in short, I ended up looking at um, uh, either everybody becoming uh, NVA or Mars or some of these really big groups and the, that's all good and fine. But I really looked at, you know, something a little different. What can we do for and by the veterinary community and maybe be a little less of a corporate stigma? That's awesome. Yeah, I was able to, because of my background, um, and I did, had done a fair amount of uh, consulting and, and writing and so on, was able to uh, connect with a number of private equity firms and be involved in merging our group with uh, Mission Veterinary Partners. So that was in 2017. So we're five years old and about a little over th- uh, 325 plus hospitals. So an interesting period for sure.
0: I mean, that's quite a story. I mean, it's, I love how you started off from the ground wanting to achieve something. And of course, you kept working at it and working at it and working at it. And there's so many people that listen to our show or that we talk to within the veterinary community uh, that we, we start the first conversation and they have no idea what they truly want to accomplish over the course of their career. So it's very inspiring to have someone that can be able to you know, stay true to what they're trying to trying to accomplish and, you know, to shift gears here, when, when you look at your career from where it started to where it's at now and you look back and say, hey, you've made some decisions over time that have been good and some that were like, man, that probably was, you know, not a very good choice. <laughs> uh, what, what is something that stands out to you that you're, you know, you've done that you're like, wow, this was not the best thing that I did. Of course, it probably was a learning experience, but, you know, what, what was that one thing that you felt like was a big turning point for you? Michigan,
1: it'll go back to the, you know, kind of the practice ownership part again, in terms of multi practices on the surface, it seems like a really easy thing to do. And I think a lot of people now you know, have jumped in into that game, right? But the Michigan economy is a, was, a, you know, whatever the auto industry does, Michigan does. So it was not easiest place. So I, in some ways, I realized in theory, I could have maybe been growing the group a lot more by myself at an earlier point in time. And so I don't know if it's a regret, but I do think that the support you get from, you know, a lot of times just private equity or whoever's, you know, financing you. Those are things that I think I came to the conclusion that. That would be a lot easier. What and just to go back a second on that, when I first came to town here, I'm in Ann Arbor, Michigan, home of the University of Michigan. I connected with their private equity specialist. He wasn't a pet person, but he liked what I was doing, and he said, "Let's." Uh, and we met week after week for a period of time, and, and uh, we became hockey buddies and stuff. And he said, "I want to run this through my, you know, my MBA class." And I didn't have the patience to do it because I was getting, you know, at that time, sellers would loan you, do a land contract loan you money, and banks would loan you money. And so I kind of poo pooed it. Now I have a number of um, friends that have gone through that MBA school and taken their class project and built some really big businesses. So I guess from the regret standpoint, I probably, you know, could have done this, you know, twenty years earlier if I had stuck with the program mm-hmm. and, you know, let you know somebody help me at that point in time. Definitely, yeah. So, you know, I think that if there's a learning thing, there is just being a good listener. Don't cut off opportunities. Keep your eyes, you know, open to different ideas. Of course,
0: there are times too. It's like you always want to have someone you can lean on and be able to give you that guidance when you need it, and. Uh, I always find it fascinating. Sometimes, though, when you're trying to you're trying to pioneer something new and you're doing something a little different, and there isn't a lot of you know, let's say a playbook on how to go about doing what you're trying to accomplish, you are gonna you know you're gonna stumble a little bit. You're gonna make mistakes. There's gonna be a lot of things that happen. I I will say the same story is true within my business. It's like I've I've stumbled and fallen, but then I've taken like huge leaps forward from a lot of stuff my uh, over time. But when when you look at your career and you know there's certain decisions you have made and let's say there's one thing that you were let's say you're in question about and you're like hey yeah I, I I'm not sure if I should do this but then you ended up doing it and it turned out to be a really uh, a really good decision you turned out to make
1: sure so kind of the opposite well I, you know as I, I circled back later on I mean I was always you know in this belief of group practice um, for just a lot of reasons where. I thought it would be helpful to the profession in terms of, um, career opportunities, career growth, in a lot of ways, you know, better medicine, sharing best ideas. So coming, um, around to, you know, ultimately, you know, partnering with, uh, a group that gave really good support and, um, I I think has allowed for best medicine to occur. You know, that was a, a good choice. Again, it's probably 15, 20 years after I started on the, you know, on the goal of building a group of practices, which, you know, it, it turned out to be. Harder to do on my own than I thought it would, and maybe in other communities or other leadership styles, it would have been, you know, could have been easier with a good partner. It happened pretty quickly. The end result is maybe I end up in the same place, but I do look at the fact that I might have started that journey but been able to build quicker a lot earlier on in my career.
0: Totally makes sense. For those for those people that are wanting to get into the world of buying a practice or starting practices, you know, what, what kind of advice would you give to them about that?
1: Sure. And I do a presentation on this one, practice ownership dead or alive in the next decade, because I think you have a barrage of information coming at, you know, recent grads or just, you know, veterans in general that nobody wants to own. You shouldn't own. It's too expensive, it's too risky, hard to compete with with the group practices and i think the opportunities are um you know are are very good to to be in ownership and i don't think i think there's a resurgence in the interest maybe because younger vets now are seeing you know practices selling for in some cases for you know pretty good prices i i think it's one of those things where there's opportunities uh, to partner with some of the groups is certainly one potential Uh, It's kind of nice, I think, in terms of groups sometimes providing leadership training and needing folks to, you know, help run practices or start new practices and so those partnerships are there and you have to realize you know maybe 20 percent of the practices are really ones that are highly desirable by groups 20 or 30 percent mm. so there's a lot of practices out there that are good opportunities for someone to step into and so you know some folks will work in various hospitals it for an independent or a group and they just get to a point where they realize hey you know i wouldn't you know mind owning something or Maybe they're, you know, whoever owns a practice, you know, is interested in selling it. The opportunity, and I talk about the kind of a price value paradigm right. where hospitals hit this threshold, you know, somewhere in the whatever, you know, million and a half, two million dollar range with three four doctors where they become attractive targets to a group, whereas a lot of others, um, you know, don't have that market. So if you can pop into a hospital, and I'm sure, you know, when you're in advisement (laughs) business you know if somebody's got the experience and the personality and the support you know you might go into a six seven eight hundred thousand dollar practice or million dollar practice get a good you know purchase price on that and especially in this environment now where the demand so high you know you might build that up three to five years to a million and a half two million dollar practice and reap the rewards of a much more valuable practice so again i think the opportunities are there i think there's people that are cut out for Mm it and i think there's a lot of support from the bank there's also and i get letters a lot from people wanting to sell their practices that You know, aren't finding buyers and there certainly is still that no low practice out there where, you know, they're doing a certain amount or they're in an area that's just, you know, not that sexy for general population of veterinarians. Yeah, I think ownership for the right person can be great and it can again be part of a group or
0: independent. Right. Something that I always like to think of, and I think what you're sharing is very, very valid. And I'm sure, especially with a lot of your experience that you have, and I, I always just something to add to the end of this is one thing is when you are going to be acquiring or starting a, a veterinary practice is you should always go with the mentality of being a business owner first, and then a veterinarian second. And I find time after time, I was actually talking with a couple practice owners recently where you know when i start asking them just simple things of like what did you do in revenue last year and what was your profitability and when they look at me funny like they're like i don't know those things my accountant knows them i'm like that's pretty much like yeah. business 101 like those you should at least know those numbers <laughs> at the minimum yes it's really good what you're what you're saying here
1: the, the other thing I will add, when people go for marriage counseling, I don't mean, you know, when you're married, but before you get married, you know, just to, you know, make sure it's a good fit and it's compatible. I mean, I'm sure you go through this with folks. If you're thinking of owning, I think there's a whole litany of questions you really want to answer and then do some personality mm-hmm. typing and so on to make sure you're a good fit for it. Because as you said, people can go into it for the wrong reason and then it's can be very stressful and i think that's what a lot of people you know are are led to believe nobody wants to own it's too stressful um there are more than a handful of veterinarians that are you know really good you know business people so it doesn't mean that you know just because you have a a veterinary mind (laughs) medical mind that you can't also be a good business person. So as you said, making sure you enjoy that business part because you get a sleeper practice in the right area and and you're hungry to build that business and sometimes do that very
0: quickly. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate some of your insights and these things. I'm sure the listeners who are are listening are going to take some good snippets from this today. And to wrap things up completely unrelated to veterinary medicine, if you were to define yourself as an animal, what animal would you be? I've
1: always been the wolf, the wolf.
0: <laughs> Tell me more. Yeah. For a lot of
1: reasons, you know, that probably is my early interest even in veterinary medicine. I took out these i remember like in in middle school walking around kind of nerdy with these books on the wolf l david meets the wolves of isle royal michigan was a big one i just always had a fascination i'm a big wilderness camping person and so on and i love wildlife and so that was always my animal that kind of runs free and, and wild and so and i think it's a beautiful animal so that that's awesome my animal of choice cool
0: Well, thanks again for being on the show. I really appreciate your time and your insight. I hope people just enjoy it just as much as I have today. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, for anyone, you know, if you're ever, I'm sure at some point, if you want to connect with Dr. Rotstein or if you're... You know, looking for him and you are bumping in a conference. I know he's out and about as well. If you have any questions, or if you want to pick his brain at some point, he's around. But again, if you are an active listener, we'd love to hear some feedback from you and uh, you know, show some love, share this episode or two with some of your friends that you know. Again, this is Tom Seco, wishing you a lifetime of financial success. Don't forget to visit our website and sign up for our newsletter. By subscribing, you'll be the first to know about upcoming race-approved CE webinars podcast releases, short presentations, and articles that we publish. Make sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on LinkedIn, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Securities and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. Submission number 2023-150336 expires February of 2025.